Welcome to Leadership Unleashed. Today's leaders must be experts in emotional intelligence, the art of persuasion, and masters of motivation. Each week, you'll hear hints and tips to help you develop confidence, build your identity, and your skills as a leader. Here's your host, authentic leadership expert, Leslie Hunter. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Leslie introducing you again to another fascinating person who is going to give his hints, tips, and insights into developing individuals into highly, highly effective leaders. Now, in this show, we're taking a very specific area, and we're looking at the area of communication and presentation. Uh, My guest today has been described as a presentation genius. And in fact, that is the title of his new book, which is being published by Hodder and Stoughton in the next few weeks. Now, I thought before I actually introduced him, I would, I would check out what that meant. So I've looked up the dictionary definition of genius. And apparently, a genius is either a person who has extraordinarily high intellect and rating in a psychological test, or, and or, a person with exceptional natural capacity of intellect. So I'm delighted to welcome, on that basis, my guest who has just off air described his work as dealing with communication stuff. (laughs) Welcome, Simon. Simon Raybould. Hello. Absolute pleasure to be here. (laughs) Oh, Simon, a person of extraordinarily high intellect. Right, there we are. Yeah, you can't you, you can't hear it, no, but you can't hear it, but my wife and team are just laughing at that description, just just <laughs> banging their heads against the uh, against the wall with that. Right, Simon. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and what this communication stuff means. Okay. Um I started out a long, long time ago as a researcher. I was looking at the causes of childhood leukemias. And in the process of that, I developed some new and innovative statistical techniques. I went to shed loads of academic research conferences. And for some of them, I came away thinking either they're rubbish at making presentations or I'm an idiot because I don't understand. Simon, (laughs) Simon, oh, that is so refreshing to to hear you say. I mean, I've just been doing a lot of academic work, as, as you know, and at the risk of upsetting a lot of (laughs) my academic contacts, the one thing I found was that a lot of the academic writing and presentation style was at best fairly turgid and difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. Use three or four words to say something. When I eventually deciphered it, I could say it in one word. And I think that's, that's actually something that creates quite a barrier for people in terms of the academic world and the academic community and, and accessing all the good stuff that, that is actually happening there. Absolutely. And one of the reasons I left academia ultimately was because I realized that the research that scientists were doing was so far ahead of what people understood that scientists were doing it was kind of depressing. And the, the, mm, yeah. the problem lay in the fact that research scientists hadn't properly explained to people what they were doing. 
which meant that people were not, they couldn't act on it because they didn't know it, they didn't understand it. Uh, what, what you're saying is, first of all, there's a lot of really, really good, powerful, important work. You, you were working in one particular field, but there's a lot of powerful, potentially important work in a whole range of fields. Secondly, it's not being communicated. Um, I mean, th these are leaders in their fields, these academics. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and the same is true, not just for academics, the same applies for leaders across the field. They, they know stuff, they understand stuff, but it's not getting communicated in a way that people can take on board and that people can apply. Right. So it's, it's this getting, not just getting your message across, but getting your message across out of your head in such a way that the recipient, the receiver understands it. That's right. So it's not just academics, it's leaders all the way around, but it's not just that people understand it. It is that they understand it in such a way as can apply it. So for example, if I said to you, there's a, an earthquake coming, you would pretty damn clearly understood what I was saying. And I'd act. The research is that people don't. That's the problem. If I just say to you, there is an earthquake, people go, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. And they don't move. Really? If you say to people, there's an earthquake coming, hide under the desk, then they know exactly what to do, and then they get under the desk. Ah, that's interesting. So it's, it's not just telling people what, they, what you think they need to know, it's telling people what they need to know in order to be able to take the appropriate action. And sometimes that's not as obvious a, a, a link as people hope it would be. And that again is back to I'm, I'm standing here in my own little version of reality. And this explains an awful lot. You know, this explains to me why when I say to my husband, can you please do X, Y, Z, whatever X, Y, Z is such as maybe um, put the dishes in the dishwasher. And to, to me, you know, that's fairly obvious. I want you to put the dishes in the dishwasher, but I also want you to turn the thing on so that it washes the dishes. And, you know, and, and, uh, or maybe, maybe, mm, no, we won't go there. Okay. I mean, we've made a huge leap there from your, your work in, in research into childhood leukemia to, to what you're doing now. Connect that gap for me before we go on. Okay, well, the, the gap is very simply connected by a realisation that people needed more information in ways that they could apply it. I just realized there was a gap between what scientists were doing and what people were, were doing. And I wanted right. to get into that, into that gap. So I started off working purely with academics and helping them explain things. And then I realized that there was a bigger need for it and started to get into working with leaders to help them explain things. So not just academic leaders, but leaders in business and commerce and the whole right. range of things. Right, right. So then, so what would you say then from, from that work, what is probably the biggest mistake that leaders make when they try to communicate. Okay. What I'm going to say now sounds embarrassingly simple. So just bear with me for a second uh -huh. because uh -huh. there is a huge difference between simple and easy. It's kind of like, you know, if you want to lose weight, it, it's very simple. You, you move more, eat less. That's, yes. that's simple. Right? That but it's not necessarily easy. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. not easy. It's not easy. Good okay? analogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the simple thing is that, the presentations, the communications, and I specialize in presentations, obviously, but any communication from leaders tends to be about telling people what they, the leader, knows. And what it should be is about telling people what they need to know in the way they need to know it. And that sounds like a really simple semantic change, but it's a whole different philosophy uh, philosophy of, of communication. No, you, you, you're so right there. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to just processing that. What you're saying is that the leader is basically imparting content. Mm -hmm. 
but it's their version of content in their style in in, in i keep saying their version of reality yeah yep, that's absolutely right yep. their way but you've got an audience sitting in front of you uh, whether that's an audience of one a hundred a thousand who will get that content and then possibly interpret it their way Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. There's an exercise we use in our training courses where I ask people to sit back to back. One person describes a Lego model in front of them and the other person has to build it from that description. <laughs> okay. And now uh, there are all kinds of things that, that, that you can, you can work with that on, on a training exercise. But for example, if the leader by analogy here is the person that's describing the Lego. Mm -hmm. If the leader fails to check that the follower, the people who's building the model, right? Mm -hmm. If they fail to check that that person can see the differences between red and green, nothing's going to happen. Of course. But it's, it's, it's all about making assumptions and checking those assumptions and saying things in the way that people understand. So for example, I've had situations where now I think this, I think this person was really weird, but the way they described a Lego break was by turning it upside down and describing the big holes on the bottom. Now, everybody else in the entire world describes Lego bricks by counting the small pimples on the top. Hmm. I haven't thought okay. about that. Um... Right. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm doing it now. As I describe it to you, I'm doing it yeah. now. Because I'm assuming that people know what a Lego brick looks like. Yes. So I'm using my own frame of reference to try and explain something. But if you don't know what a Lego brick looks like, then there's no way that that analogy is going to work for you. And it's, it's all about finding the analogies and the communication methods that work for your audience wow. so that they can take action, which means making a presentation is a lot more tricky than people think it is because making a presentation is easy. Making a good presentation <laughs> is very, very difficult because you have to work from your audience's perspective, not your own. So how, so how do you start? We've got, let's say we've got, um, I mean, oh, I have sat through some dire dull presentations where uh, you get the classic scenario where the, the presenter perhaps has a, let's show, shall we say a quirk or a habit. And some of those quirks and habits are the uhs, ums, and well, you know, you know, uh, and you get, I, I've certainly sat in presentations where I start the tally. How many uhs? <laughs> You know, um, you know. Toast, to Toastmasters has something called the um counter. The um counter, the I um like. Counter, which I think is pretty vicious, but okay. The, but it, that's, that one's easy to deal with, really easy to deal with. Urs and ums happen when your brain has given an instruction to your mouth to say something, but it hasn't told your mouth what it is it is supposed to say. Do you know, you definitely need to talk to my husband. <laughs> I am sure that that happens regularly with him, but joking apart, I, I understand that. There are times when I know what I need to say in my head, and I can say it in my head quite yeah. eloquently and quite effectively, but somehow it doesn't come out my mouth in the same way. And there's a little subconscious part of your brain that goes, I have got to say something. I've got to say, uh, uh, I don't know what that, to say. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a padder, it's a filler. So your mouth just says something so that people know that you are thinking. The way around it, of course, is to know what it is that you're going to say before you even open your mouth. And the way a professional does that is by using silence. So they train themselves, they discipline themselves, so that when they think, they are silent. An amateur is when they think they will go, uh. 
Now, that's interesting. When I work in a coaching context with a lot of leaders, I will ask them questions. I mean, that, that's a basic premise of coaching. And when I'm training coaches who are going to work with leaders, the biggest issue I have to deal with them is to help them understand that they, once they've asked a question, they then have to zip it. They have to sit there and allow that silence. They've got to allow that vacuum, that envelope of silence, because it's giving the other person, first of all, the opportunity to think and process. But secondly, it's giving them the cue that, you know what, this, this gap here, you're going to fill it, pal, not me. And if yeah. I ask you a question, I'm expecting an answer. Mm -hmm. So silence, using silence is obviously one key thing that leaders need to, to learn to do and to perhaps look at what they currently do and see how much of that they use in their current repertoire. Well, in communications, to, to, uh, for some reason, I've got into a really big thing at the moment, but in, in my presentations, where I talk about silence and stillness. What's the difference? Silence is when you're not saying anything. Stillness is, for lack of a better term, a visual silence. It's when you're not doing anything. It's when you're just standing there without movement. But there's a difference between standing still and not moving. <laughs> Um, oh, one of them is well, passive. Come on, the, the, stand, <laughs> I knew okay. I should never start getting into communications with you. There's a difference okay. between standing okay. still and not right. moving. Go on. I, spent, I spent a lot of time touring as a lighting designer with dance companies. And this is where I've got into the idea between standing still and not moving. Okay. If you think of a dancer and you think of a normal person standing, a normal person stands and there is no energy in them. They can just see that they are just inert. There's just no energy. Uh -huh. They're going nowhere. They're doing nothing. Okay. Uh -huh. If you look at dancer on stage when they're not moving, <laughs> it's as though they are always on the brink of movement. They, have, they are not moving because they have chosen not to move. But at any given moment, they could go in any given direction. Do you know, I, d I don't know about the, the listeners, but what I, what I have done by listening to you there is I have created immediately a mental image. It happened to be ballet, and I've never been to a ballet show in my life. <laughs> but it, I created this mental image of ballet dancers and a ballet dancer doing exactly what you said there. And as a consequence, I get it. I understand what you're saying. So first of all, analogy and, and using analogy, metaphor, whatever you want to, to call it, is a powerful communication technique, clearly, or at least it is with risk. for with me. Risk, yes, with risk, yes. Yeah, with risk. Because I could have chosen to envisage a sumo wrestler. I didn't. I chose that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, the risk. That's the risk. Every Everything a communicator does, everything a presenter does is a calculated risk. You have to think about trading off the risk of it going wrong against the potential of it going right. Yeah. But the other thing is that it's, it's you, what you're helping me to understand here is that I need to be inside the other person's head because it's mm -hmm. what they're thinking, not what I'm thinking. So how do you help a leader then develop that mind reading capacity? <laughs> You're two-thirds of the way there if you're already asking the question. Oh, good. <laughs> there you go. It's, it, was, it was dead easy, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> there are just a couple of simple questions to ask yourself before you start communicating, specifically before you start making a presentation. The first one is, what does my audience already know, think, do, believe? So wait a slow, slow that down. What do my audience already know, think? Think, do, believe, do whatever. Believe. Right. So at right. the beginning of a presentation, where are they? Okay, so you start from where your audience are. 
Are they volunteers? Do they understand this, that, and the other? Do they want to be here? Do they have any preconceptions? Do they understand this jargon? All of that kind of, where, where, where are they starting from? Right. And just the process of asking yourself, where is my audience at the start of my presentation? You're, you're making progress. Now, I would, I would think that quite a lot of people, if they are the leader in a, in a team scenario, this is back to your assumptions, because they will, they will assume that the audience know this, that, and the other, because, mm -hmm. because of the work environment, because of... Right. And by definition, they're wrong. Yeah, that, well, you're showing me that now. That, yeah. let, 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 me, let me unpack that just a little bit, because if you are the leader, by definition, you are different from everybody else. Yeah. By definition, you know more than everybody else about a given circumstance. By definition, therefore, your audience are not going to start from the same place as you're starting from. Wow, that, that is really, really important. Yeah. So anything, everything about being a leader makes you special and different. <laughs> it, it's kind of, as soon as I say it, it's blindingly obvious. But if you're a leader, by definition, you are not one of your followers. And I'm putting inverted commas around the followers. Around get, followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get what because, I'm going for. You know, for, we, we, we talk about followers and some people find the term quite quite not not necessarily offensive but quite difficult but in other words what you're saying is there are times when the leader will be a follower but it will be in a different situation absolutely absolutely yeah. on, on any in any yeah. given circumstance in every any given situation the leader is by definition the person who is leading yeah and therefore by definition they know more about something or they're coming at something from a specific perspective which makes them different from everybody else in that circumstance which by definition means that you can't make assumptions you, you can't make assumptions but the audience knows because we by do. definition we do oh yeah All we do <laughs> so maybe oh, yeah. something a leader needs to do in in you know for any anybody who's listening now we need to stop and say what do i know that is different to what my colleagues followers whatever phrase we want to use what, what what's that gap what do i know that they don't know because mm -hmm. it's not a case of me having to share everything and sometimes some leaders do that as well don't they they, they just kind of oh. mind dump yep absolutely lot. absolutely there's an analogy i use um about from the london underground now for those of us who, who don't know the london underground it is a behemoth of a system and when you're trying to navigate it it, the information there is completely overwhelming. <laughs> if they give you all the information about where you're supposed to be going at once, you've, you would freak out. I've seen it happen a zillion times. However, what the signposters have done is broken down that information to what you need at any given intersection in the, in the walkways. So it's so like they, breaking the journey up into, into yep. bite-sized chunks. Again, it's what we say when we coach people. Yep. You set a goal, and the goal may be too, too ambitious, too far ahead. Break it down into bite-sized manageable chunks. Yep. And we you can, give people the information they need, and you yep. give it to them at the speed at which they can assimilate it. Right. So you know, the, the tube designers have gone, um, turn left for the circle line, turn right for Piccadilly. And then when you've turned right, the next intersection says, turn left for northbound, turn right for southbound, and all of that kind of jazz. So they break it down into the, into the, into the individual steps. They break it down into the speed at which people can assimilate information. And the leader, when they're making a presentation, needs to do exactly that. How do they do that? How, how, how do you help somebody develop that? Because, I mean, this, is an innate, this isn't necessarily an innate skill that you're born with. Nope. Or is it? 
there's a certain amount of innateness in it. A lot of it comes from simply being able to be empathetic. And I've never known a great leader who wasn't empathetic. Okay. Who could sort of put themselves in the shoes of the, the yeah. people. But actually, it just largely comes from asking yourself the question, what does my audience know? Just, just ask yourself the question, where are they? What do they know? What do they do? What do they think? What do they believe? What are their actions? And as soon as you ask yourself those questions, it's sometimes very obvious what it is you need to tell them. Okay, so there's, there's kind of step one in our, yeah. you know, let's, let's use your analogy and break yeah. it down into a sequence of steps. There's step one. What do they do next? Step two is by the end of my presentation, where do they need to be? So we're doing a gap analysis, basically? Yeah, exactly, a gap analysis. And step three is even more obvious, right? Fill the gap. Fill the gap. It's as simple as that. So the third question is, given the answer to step one, given the answer to question two, what is the best way of getting people from A to B? And that is the design of your presentation. It is mind-bogglingly obvious as soon as you break it down like that. But what usually happens is that the presenter, the leader, just tells people what they, the presenter leader, knows. They don't care about what the audience knows. They don't care about the best way of... of okay, so for example, right? A really, really, really silly example. Five like years silly ago. examples because yeah. they help us understand. Yeah. The okay, five years ago for my 25th wedding anniversary, I'm, I'm married to a saint. I've been married for 30 years. <laughs> 25 years ago for my wedding anniversary, I secretly, and, um, I secretly learned to waltz. Oh. Okay. We had, on a scale of one to 10 for romantic, I, I secretly learned to waltz. Now, the girls that were helping me learn to waltz, I had um, one semi-professional partner and one full professional trainer. Okay. Now, if you can't learn to waltz under those circumstances, when you've got the, <laughs> you know, I'd got the full 50-meter studio with the full mirrors and everything, and I'd got a semi-pro dancer in my you arms. You've got a video got, of this on YouTube, have you, Simon? I have got a video of me dancing <laughs> golf that will never see the light of day. Right. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, but basically what, what Amanda did when she was teaching me to waltz was she thought, what does Simon know? He knows his left foot and his right foot. Well, that's a start. To start. That's what a does start. he need to know? He needs to know the steps for the waltz. He needs to know the hand positions for the waltz and all that kind of stuff. What is the best way of telling him it? The best way of telling him it is put him in a hold with Ruth and move his legs. That's kind of blind, you're right, it's blindingly obvious, right? She didn't go, I will show him a PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> Power, oh, dear me, don't start me on PowerPoint. Here is, here is a PowerPoint of somebody waltzing. Step one, left foot. Step two, right foot. Step three, together, right? It doesn't work like that. It's very, very simple. The idea is you find out what it is your audience needs to know and ask yourself the best way that they that they're going to get there. If the answer is dancing elephants, you give them dancing elephants. If the, if the answer is PowerPoint, you give them PowerPoint. If the answer is, and it usually is, a briefing document, you give them a briefing document. Now that is really, that is really something that leaders need to, to think about because re again, and I'm talking from personal experience here, but I go to so many presentations or so, so see so many people present where you get the PowerPoint, the obligatory or the keynote or whatever the package is, but you get yeah. the obligatory slides, which are first of all, unreadable. 
because people don't think about color schemes, about font sizes, etc. They don't think about yes. lighting in the room. They it's, then, it's, written, it's written in pink on a white background in 12 point times New Roman. Yeah. With yellow bullet points. And don't, <laughs> you know, the bullet points, the, you know, as they say, the bullet points are there to shoot the presenters because they, they tend to use them as their notes, their aid memoir. Uh -huh. They add absolutely nothing to the, you know, to the actual presentation. I was always taught, um, Leslie, when you're going to go and present, you use the biggest, boldest uh, visual cue. In other words, use a photograph and use the best quality you can and one that you own the rights to, uh, to, to illustrate your point. So that somebody who is listening to you can, can get your message, somebody who needs that visual connection or that visual cue can also get you know, pick up the message, connect that, that right. image. That's, it, that's exactly right. And far too many leaders write notes to themselves and put them up on the screen. Yeah. Put the notes into the briefing document and give a briefing document, as you're saying to your yeah, audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it turns out that people remember very, very, very little in terms of factual recall from a presentation. They remember impressions and emotions. And if you want them to remember facts... You have to give them a handout. You have to give them a briefing yeah. document. The, the presentation is all about getting people excited enough about your content to want to read the briefing documents. And do you know where I think a lot of leaders go wrong? Now, cor correct me if I'm, I'm right here, because I know you've got your, your book that is coming out that is, you, you'll tell us a, a little bit about in a second. But I think where an awful lot of leaders go wrong is they pick up at this superficial level. I mean, what we've been talking about is what a lot of people will recognize as VAK, VAC, yep. the visual. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Um, there is a whole chapter in the book dedicated to unpacking the VAK model. Fantastic. Fantastic. Which says, okay, I'm going to sum up the, the, the chapter in two words. It's cobblers. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Sir. It, it doesn't exist. It's a hypothetical <laughs> model. When you, when you try and validate it empirically, you cannot validate it. Right. So let's stop there for a second because people may not understand is this VAK model is a, a very simplistic approach, which says people have preferences and they like to learn and receive information and process information visually, which is the V, in an mm -hmm. auditory way, which is obviously the, the sound, yep. K, the kinesthetic, i.e. through feeling, emotional connection and doing. Yeah. I was going to say, well, let's go back to my dance lessons. What's the best way of learning to dance? Is it visual, is it auditory, or is it kinesthetic? It's blindingly, obviously, kinesthetic. Right? You just, you teach me to dance kinesthetically. You teach me to, to speak French hourly. You teach me to read visually. And what people have done is assume that those things apply to the person. They don't. They apply to the message. They apply yeah. to what it is you are trying to explain. Oh, wow, Simon, there's so much here for leaders to be able to, be able to take away. Um, I don't even know where to start. Like, <laughs> summarize it. Summarize it into, into sort of three top tips for a leader if they have got presentations to do. Um, okay. We're talking about presentations that can vary across that whole spectrum. Three. Okay. All right. First question, is a presentation actually the best way of doing what it is that you're trying to do? 
Because if you're trying to give, yeah, okay, because okay. uh, very, very often people just have a presentation and they go, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll talk to my staff about it. Well, actually, that's sometimes the right thing to do and sometimes not. Okay, so okay. that's question one. Question two, ask yourself what it is that, where it is that they are starting from, where it is they need to go, and what's the best way to take them on that journey? Mm-hmm. And we've covered so, that, yeah. And we've covered that. And the third question is, is, is the third approach, if you like, is very simply to stop making assumptions about what your audience knows, does, likes, feels, whatever, and just get into their heads. Even if you don't get completely into their heads, just the very act of trying to get into their heads will make you a damn sight better than anybody else. And how do you do that, though? What, what? Oh, there are a whole bunch of, of, of techniques I use in the training. Sometimes I will literally take a trainer, a, sorry, literally take a, a, a leader and stand them on the shop floor or stand them in the office and look at the podium and say to them, and I, you know, maybe I will go up onto the podium and I will start speaking to them in the same way as they have just been speaking to me. And they will uh-huh. go, do you know what? Oh, don't go. It, that doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't work, you muppet. That's why you should. <laughs> um, it's just sometimes literally putting them in the other person's shoes will, will do the trick. So it is this empathy and being in the other person's yep. shoes. And I know a lot of people, again, when they do presentation style training, um, a lot of people will have been taught to video yourself and what, you know, watch it back. But that doesn't really work, does it? Nope, almost never. Why? <laughs> um, I'm pretty damn clear about that. Uh, it doesn't work because people change their behaviours as soon as a camera bursts. As soon as the camera, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what you're doing is training them to behave in a way which is appropriate for how they behave when they're being filmed. This is such a, a, a complex area. So mm-hmm. what, is it, what is your book going to do that's going to help people to become okay. better in terms of presenting well, as leaders? The structure of the book is, is answers that question. What I've done is I've read nigh on 400 research papers. Which oh, I, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah. no, some of them were quite well written. Really? <laughs> some of them. Yeah, not many. Some of them were really well written, actually. Uh, 400 research papers. And what I've done is I've taken those research papers, put them into 40 chapters. I have translated them from research speak into English. Into real speak. (laughs) Into real Real speak. Into short sentences, written the active and all of that kind of jazz. And it's distilled the wisdom from that. So what I've attempted to do is translate between what people know about how presentations and communications work properly and translate it into something that people can actually can actually read if you sort of mean fabulous um, so you, you've basically you've um, decrypted deciphered all of that research and put it into a language and a style that real people real leaders can understand and that's the plan i leave it to other people to tell me whether i've actually succeeded but that 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 was the plan but the key thing about it really is that i don't make any attempt it's not a teaching book it's not a, it's not a training manual i've written those this is not that. This is just me taking the, the, the world of what scientists know about how communication works, putting it into the real world in 40 short, sharp chapters, and allowing people to decide what they need to take away from the book. Fantastic. So if they are interested in problem X, Y, and Z, then they can read the problems about 
the chapters X, about y, problems x y and z so um, what you're basically saying is it's a resource for for individuals um, but the individual needs to come from a starting point of having self-reflected and analyzed where they think they need to improve or develop and look at their their own presentation um, skills and ability they don't necessarily need to have gone that far. They need okay. to have self-reflected and gone, I need to do some work on this. Right, I <laughs> and need to do this again. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes just reading the, the, the various chapters will raise an eyebrow and people will go, oh, yeah, I do that. Wow, that will be quite a reality check. Well, I know some leaders for whom that could be a really, really powerful first step. Thanks, Simon, for everything you've done to help us improve our communication and our presentations. All I can say is it's been absolute genius. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So thanks, Simon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, just before we finish this show, let me take you back to one of the core messages from Simon. Throughout our discussion, he has used analogy and he has used metaphor. So why on Leadership Unleashed am I basing my messages to you on the analogy and metaphor of a human interacting with a canine? Well, it's very simple. I believe that many leaders today are taught traditional theories, all the traditional models, the leadership styles. We can quote those ad nauseum, but very few of us are actually taught those fundamental key behaviors that underpin being an effective leader in practice. So if I was to take you now and put you in a field, either with my dog, the beautiful German Shepherd Kino, or with him and some additional members of his pack, how would you behave? How would you lead? Well, unless you can communicate, engage, motivate, and gain the trust of those dogs, they're not going to follow you. They don't care about the leadership theories. They don't care what your leadership style is. And I'll let you into a secret. They haven't read any of the leadership books. But how you behave will determine how effectively you act as a leader in their presence. Now let's think of the parallels in the workplace. Unless you can communicate, engage, motivate, and ultimately gain the trust of your followers in the workplace, you are going to be just as ineffective as a leader. So leadership unleashed. Let's unleash that process of leadership from the person. Let's unleash the behaviors. Let's understand what it actually means to be an effective leader in practice. Let's use this metaphor and this analogy. What can we as human leaders learn from our four-legged canine friends? Every single one of you either has a dog, has had a dog, or knows somebody who has a dog. And if you don't like dogs, even more enlightened, because it means that you actually understand that there is something rooted there in behavior that underpins interaction. So Leadership Unleashed, let's unleash this whole arena of being an effective leader 
See you next time. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Leslie and her book, Who Put You in Charge? Go to LeslieHunter.com. There you can also join the pack, a free membership group where you'll receive regular hints and tips from Leslie, as well as access to some great leadership resources. So how are you doing as a leader? See how you measure up by downloading Leslie's free iPad app, the Effective Leader Scoreboard, available on iTunes. We'll see you next week for another edition of Leadership Unleashed. Leadership Unleashed.